Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Welcome to the Daily Dive Weekend Edition. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and every week I explore the top stories making waves in the news and some that are just plain interesting. I'll connect you with the journalists and the people who know the story and bring you news without the noise so you can make an informed decision. You can catch a new episode of the Daily Dive every Monday through Friday, and it's ready when you wake up. On the Weekend Edition, I'll be bringing you some of the best stories from the week. The big midterm elections happened this week and control of Congress still hangs in the balance with Republicans poised to take over the House, but we'll have to wait till December for a runoff election to see who will take Georgia's Senate seat. In the meantime, the red wave that was expected never really happened, and Democrats fared far better than most thought. Former President Trump is in a weaker position coming into his big announcement, and President Biden is taking any good news he can get. For more on top midterm takeaways, we'll speak to David Siders, national political correspondent at Politico. Well, I think you got it right, the way you describe it, that it wasn't a red wave and it was disappointing for Republicans. I I think the expectation was that they would win a lot more seats in the House and that the House would be called very early. It's still not called. And and while the math is in their favor and we expect them to take control, uh, it's not going to be by the margins that Kevin McCarthy once once predicted. Uh, In the Senate, again, another disappointing place where as you point out, there are still races outstanding, but some significant losses for Republicans in states where Democrats held. And, uh, you know, you made mention about the House and Kevin McCarthy. I mean, really, you know, even taking over the House there, it's still going to complicate their efforts there. I mean, they're going to come pretty strong. We've already heard, you know, a, a number of investigations that they're going to want to do, possibly try to impeach President Biden, you know, over things uh, withdrawal from uh, Afghanistan. They want to investigate the dealings of his son. But it's going to be pretty complicated with such a slim margin. The conflict within the conference is going to be so much more pronounced because you will have people who are frothing at the mouth, really, to have these investigations, hardline members of the party that that now are in the the majority uh, or will be in the majority in the House. And at the same time, you will have these more moderate forces that saw what happened on Tuesday and start urging some caution in how far to go. So I do think this is going to be incredibly tricky for McCarthy to balance. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be in in some cases very similar to what happened to Democrats, right? More uh, modern Democrats, the, the very left progressive wing of the Democratic Party. You know, they're going to run into some of those very familiar problems there. Let's talk about how President Trump fares into all of this. What we're hearing is that there's going to be an announcement possibly next week. We're expecting him to possibly announce his bid for 2024. But uh, again, you know, a lot of the picks that he made didn't necessarily do too well. 
No, and I think I think that's probably the the big story here, and that secondarily maybe to the fact that there wasn't a red wave, and, and that is that Trump is clearly weaker today than he was yesterday. Up and down, all across the map, really. Even the candidates that he endorsed who won did so by narrower margins than more traditionalist. Republicans in those states. And then obviously he had some significant losses in Senate races in Pennsylvania and New Hampshire come to mind. So this was a bad night for Donald Trump. And Ron DeSantis on the other side, I mean, uh, you know, winning handily there, you know, <laughs> President Trump taking the new name right to Ron DeSanctimonious there. But uh, it doesn't matter. I mean, it, his profile raises even more now. We're talking about the same state, right? So Donald Trump is now a resident of that state. He won Florida by a little more than three points in 2020. And then Ron DeSantis comes along and just blows out the opposition this year. So I I do think that DeSantis's stock is high. Now, that all being said, Trump is still maybe the singular most powerful figure in the Republican Party. And I don't suspect that that will erode overnight. So weakened is one thing, and he's definitely weakened. But Trump is not out. What about President Biden? How did he fare in all this? Obviously, he wasn't on the ballot, but we're seeing his uh, approval rating about 41 percent. It's pretty low. He's going to be turning 80 this month. This is what a lot of people have been making a big deal about it. You know, as he gets older, is he uh, is he still fit to hold office? And, um, you know, the Democrats probably overperformed this past time. But was it necessarily because of Biden? Probably not. How does the, the president figure into this conversation? Yeah, I think what you said last there, probably not, right? I mean, remember that Biden was not exactly campaign front and center for the entire year. He was, it was a low-key approach to the midterms. That, that being said, so two things, historically good for an incumbent president in the first midterm. This was a remarkable night for Biden. And really, this was not a repudiation of the president, which we might have seen in a midterm with inflation as it is, yeah. concerns about the economy, with the war in Ukraine. That all being said... What hurts Biden is the fact that it's now Wednesday instead of Tuesday, because up until this point, Democrats had all been holding their fire on him because they don't want to drag down his approval ratings before the midterms. That's over now. And so I don't think any credible Democrat will challenge Biden for the nomination if he runs. But there are going to be increasing calls and agitations, especially from the left, for him not to seek a second term. You made mention in your latest write-up about the midterm elections about how the Democrats really failed to grow the map there. And we're looking at Florida and Texas mainly, obviously. It just seems like those two places, uh, Democrats don't really have a chance. And, you know, we, we talked about Ron DeSantis already, but Governor Abbott handily beat off Beto O'Rourke. You know, and I just, just to fold it into, you know, Stacey Abrams in Georgia, you know, Democrats kind of been putting a lot of stock, a lot of hype in these losing candidates recently. Yeah, that's right. I mean, if you're a Democrat, you take what happened in the midterms yesterday, every day and twice on Sunday. You just did that. This was a good, good night. But there are places where Democrats showed weakness. And the two states that you mentioned, Florida and Texas, are big ones. They're big from a counting perspective when it comes to a presidential election. And they're big, I think, in the the psychology of Democrats. Florida, of course, used to be a swing state. And it's not anymore. It certainly doesn't look like it. And then Texas was a state that was held out as representative of, you know, how the great demographic shifts in the country would advantage Democrats in the years to come. And Texas, every year you heard, you know, Texas is about to turn blue. It's about to turn yeah. blue. And obviously that didn't happen in 18. It got worse in 2020. And we saw that O'Rourke, their one-time star there, get just blown out really in the gubernatorial on Tuesday. So that 
is a disappointment for Democrats. All right. Well, the next big step seems like we're going to have to wait till December for that runoff in Georgia. Uh, we'll keep an eye out on all of that. David Siders, national political correspondent at Politico. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Marijuana was also on the ballot in five states. Just 10 years ago, Washington and Colorado became the first states to legalize marijuana. Now, Maryland and Missouri have been added to that list for a total of 21 states plus D.C. We're seeing the stigma of cannabis wear off in many cases, and it's also become big business, projected to produce sales of $100 billion by 2030. For more on the mixed night of results for marijuana in the ballot, we'll speak to Mary Jane Gibson, contributor to Vox. Well, it was fascinating, you know, in just 10 years since Colorado and Washington legalized cannabis for adult use, we have reached a point where now with Maryland and Missouri joining the states and bringing the number to 21, more than 50% of Americans live in a jurisdiction with legal adult use cannabis. It's pretty incredible. Arkansas, North Dakota, and South Dakota declined to approve legal cannabis, but I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that the language in the ballot wasn't what voters wanted. There were no provisions for social equity, record expungement, and that sort of thing. And I think we've really seen that voters want to approve measures that are going to address the harms of the war on drugs, in addition to bringing cannabis online as as a profitable industry for their states to generate tax revenue for the economy. They also want to address some of the harms that the war on drugs has caused, especially to communities of color. Yeah, I mean, those are all very important points, right? We saw President Biden basically uh, expunge the convictions of people uh, on the federal level, you know, simple marijuana possession, things like that. But to your point about the money, a lot of the states that have approved this have made tons of money in taxes on it. The marijuana industry products hit $25 billion in 2021. They say it could be a $100 billion industry by 2030. So there's a lot of money there. And by and large, it seems like, you know, when we see polls all over the place, the public is in favor of marijuana legalization. Uh, the, the taboos, the stigma surrounding it has largely faded, it seems like. Certainly, that's the case. At this point, there, w- there was a Pew Research Center survey in April 2021 that showed that 91 percent of U.S. adults favor some form of marijuana legalization, whether it's medical cannabis programs or fully legalized for adult use. So the scale tipped a very long time ago. I think it was two or three years ago. 68 percent of adults said that they were in favor of fully legalized recreational cannabis. So we- we've definitely crossed a line that we're not uh, going to go back yeah. to, you know, and, and a big part of that is people have realized that it's no longer uh, in anywhere. It was never in anyone's interest to criminalize cannabis, but they've certainly updated their um, views on on what it means to criminalize marijuana in our communities. Let's dig in a little bit into each of the states here. So Maryland, it was known as question four. It passed there. I think this one, it seemed uh, like a given. This was the one that uh, it seemed like it was going to pass all along. That's right. It was widely expected to pass. I think 73% of registered voters had been polled leading up to the election saying that they were going to pass it. And it is making recreational cannabis legal, purchase and possession of up to one and a half ounces, as well as legal gifting. And a big part of it is that home cultivation will be allowed under this law. That's another thing that was not under the Arkansas measure and, and something that reform advocates really pointed to as a reason for people to say no to passing that measure. Yeah. So in Maryland, people will be able to grow at home and the uh, referendum will put Maryland, just like its neighbor, D.C., into a legal area where people will be able to gift cannabis as well. Arkansas was known as issue four. It failed there. Now, this one's kind of interesting because Arkansas voters did approve medical marijuana back in 2016, but this one did not come through here. Issue four. 
That's correct. Issue four was one of the measures that reform advocates really pointed to as problematic. It was largely funded by the medical cannabis industry, and it would have allowed existing medical cannabis businesses to really dominate the adult use market when it came online. And it would have limited new competitors. The bar for entry would have been very high for new businesses to come online. So people who were against the measure, even though they were pro-cannabis, pointed out that it would not be in favor of small businesses. It also had no social equity provisions. And as I said, it wouldn't have allowed for home cultivation. Another part of it was that the tax revenue was largely going to go to law enforcement. It would have actually added money into law enforcement coffers. And that was another thing that reform advocates really pointed to as problematic. In Missouri, it was known as Amendment 3. It passed there. This one was also interesting because Missouri passed legislation decriminalizing cannabis for personal use in 2014. So it seemed like they were well on their way for this as well. That's right. Missouri was one of the only bills that actually baked in expunging criminal records for cannabis into the language of the ballot measure, which was really important. So Missouri has voted yes on allowing adults 21 and older to purchase and possess up to three ounces of cannabis. And it also allows for home cultivation and the marijuana law reform of record expungement being baked in there means that thousands of Missouri residents will receive uh, record expungement and, and be able to go on about their lives without the consequences of a marijuana charge. In North Dakota, it was Measure 2. It failed there. But South Dakota was interesting. Measure 27, it failed there as well. But South Dakota voters approved cannabis legalization for adult use in 2020. But the state Supreme Court invalidated it. It seemed like it was kind of based on a technicality. But the mood since then has changed and and it failed. Yeah, I think that was what was probably the most infuriating defeat for cannabis reform advocates, because in 2020, 54% of voters did approve legalizing cannabis. But then Governor Kristi Noem spearheaded the legal challenge to invalidate the vote on procedural grounds at the Supreme Court. It was due to language. The Supreme Court found that the ballot measure wasn't narrowly focused enough to meet what is a single subject rule for constitutional amendments under the state laws. So it was overturned. And this time around, when voters weighed in on Measure 27, they defeated it. The ballot measure had left out language concerning taxing cannabis sales, licensing, social equity and that sort of thing in an attempt to avoid another Supreme Court battle. But voters did not approve it because I think it was just uh, the ballot language wasn't focused enough for them to be able to approve it. So in both North and South Dakota, voters said, not yet, not like this. I think they're waiting for better initiatives to come along to approve. And hopefully that'll be next time around in 2024. Well, for now, 21 states and D.C. now have legal marijuana on the books there. Mary Jane Gibson, contributor to Vox, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks so much. The Home Depot wants every mom to have their own outdoor oasis this Mother's Day. Whether that be a new space to relax or a beautiful garden upgrade, at The Home Depot, you can give mom a gift that's as unique as she is with a stylish and comfortable place to entertain or relax for the mom who does it all. And with convenient delivery, you won't have to stress over getting it to her either. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers for the mom who's great with gardening? Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to Bring out the most in our patios, walkways, and gardens with the Home Depot's Mother's Day Savings Event happening now. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Start your Mother's Day shopping and saving today by checking out the Home Depot's 
extensive selection online at homedepot.com or directly in-store near you with convenient pickup and delivery options. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com slash strategic. That's oracle.com slash strategic. oracle.com slash strategic. Marriage can have a lot of benefits to the pocketbooks of couples. Married couples are four times wealthier than unmarried couples who live together. They tend to have a higher net worth and more likely to be homeowners. Experts think that a big part of it is that married couples pool their financial resources together in a way that cohabitating couples don't. For more on why moving in together doesn't match the benefits of marriage, we'll speak to Julia Carpenter, personal finance reporter at The Wall Street Journal. So I first started researching this because I had previously written a story looking at the gap between married people and single people. And as I was diving deeper into that data, something really curious popped out to me immediately, which is that cohabiting couples, which I think like a lot of people, I assumed would be somewhere sort of in the middle, you know, maybe not reaping in the benefits of marriage, but also further along than single people. We're still falling very far behind married people. The wealth of a married couple is four times greater than that of an unmarried couple who's living together. And this is for people aged, you know, in, in, the same, in the same ages. So it's not like some people are further ahead than others. So really curious to me to see that gap right away. Yeah, we're seeing the median net worth for married couples is at $68,000. This is kind of couple ages 25 to 34. For the uh, unmarried cohabitating couples, we're seeing that at $17,000. So yeah, just a big jump right there. And, uh, you know, when we're looking at kind of what's happening, the landscape of things, we're seeing Americans uh, move in together at higher rates and getting married at, at a lot lower rates. Right. And people are delaying marriage. They're getting married much later. So I was speaking with Andrew Churlin. He's a, he's a professor who studies marriage. And he said a lot of younger people are viewing marriage as sort of a capstone. So they're thinking, I want to be in a solid place where my car starts on time. I'm not worried about my partner losing their job. I'm not worried about losing my job. Maybe we already own a house. They want to be and more advanced in their financial lives. So they're putting off marriage for that reason, but also as a result, they're then missing out on some of the benefits of marriage, which are combining your incomes, investing together, really capitalizing on on what two incomes can do. Yeah, let's focus on that because a lot of people think that that's might be where it's at. You know, there are, as I mentioned, legal tax benefits to getting married. It'll, you know, if you're making enough, it'll push you into a next tax bracket, all, all sorts of things. And you can deduct things when you own a home, let's say, but they say that pooling those resources is probably a big thing. You're kind of more in line with your financial goals and investments, and pooling that money really just helps you out there. As I talk to experts about this, both professors who study it and financial advisors who advise people on this, that kept coming up. 
that there's something about using your money together and for a specific goal that really helps people advance. You know, there's also, I, I will point out, there are some other socioeconomic factors here too. So, you know, the wealthier you are, the likelier you are to be married. I spoke with some researchers who say people tend to like marry like. So if you're somebody who already has a very high net worth, you're likelier to marry someone who already has that high net worth. So there's, there's sort of a capitalization of that. But people combining their incomes and especially people who are doing that to then advance toward a goal have a lot of success doing that. You know, I interviewed a young couple and I interviewed the woman in the couple and she said, I don't understand why my married friends are so much further ahead than me. We're splitting rent. We're sharing bills. But all my married friends are owning houses. And she, she was I mean, she was sort of baffled by that. Yeah. And housing is a huge part of that. Right. And even to her point, her and her husband could be making the same as one of their friends who are married, but they still feel like they're falling behind. And, you know, I I went through a housing hunt just very recently and it is kind of baffling. You think like, how can people afford these crazy amounts of money it takes to own a house? But that is one of the biggest things. And we're seeing with married couples, obviously, there is a larger concentration of housing wealth. Uh, definitely a larger concentration of housing wealth, but also you're able to just be so much more competitive when you're working with two incomes. So many of these asset prices are, are so high. You know, if you're if you're applying for a certain building, applying for a certain mortgage, it might be more advantageous to have a bigger down payment or to have another person co-signing on, the, on that mortgage with you. So what else are we seeing then uh, as, as possible reasons why married couples are just pulling away from their counterparts here? I mean, what else can cohabitating couples do to try to catch up at least? Well, one of the things is that cohabiting couples are already facing a lot of the setbacks that single people are facing and that rising prices are eating into their budget. So if they want to own a home, for example, if they want to save for that, their money isn't going toward that. It's instead going to the rising cost of gas and groceries. They're also, you know, concerned about the recession. A lot of people have put their lives on pause, their goals on pause for the time being until they understand how they'll fare in that. The young couple that you interviewed for this, after hearing all of this, the wealth gap that's happening, you know, the possible benefits of getting married, what did they think of it? Are they planning to get married soon now because of what they're hearing with this? You know, they're not. And they're, they actually have sort of reshuffled their goals a little bit. They're looking at a work-life program in Belize where you would work with other remote workers. You know, and when I, when I was speaking with Melissa, she's the woman I had interviewed primarily for the story. She was saying, you know, it's not as important to her as it once was. She's content to sort of think about their other goals for the time being, like perhaps prioritizing this, this program in Belize. All right. Well, we'll keep an eye out for this for now. Uh, married couples, I mean, I guess it does pay off in more ways than one for now. Julia Carpenter, personal finance reporter at the Wall Street Journal. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Don't forget to join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this is the Daily Dive Weekend Edition. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah! 
Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. 